gentlemen and otherwise and welcome to the daily brain bleed my name is jeff my name's tucker and honestly jeff i feel kind of bad being here today because you know i'm still mourning the death of a great man from a few days ago yeah a great man um not only was he royalty but i think you could fairly say that his actions distinguished him as a hero i'm of course talking about dmx Oh, I, yeah, I, who else died? Right, yeah, I heard some guy in the UK named Phil died, and uh, I guess he's probably chilling with his best pal, Jimmy Savile, right about now. So, uh, you know, that's what it is. But no, seriously, DMX, like, that got me, because he is such a good artist. Um, yeah, no, I mean, was blasting X gonna give it to you, like, the past few days, it's... And you read more and more about all this, you know, I, I never knew so much about the guy's life, but then, you know, I've actually yeah. started reading about him and he was such a cool guy. Yeah, no, he seems like he lived like kind of this life that's just like you could say that he did something and you'd be like, yeah, he's probably done that before. Like I saw a video of him dancing at like some sort of Balkan wedding mm-hmm. uh, ceremony and like heard a story about him uh, buying like $500 worth of Girl Scout cookies and stuff like that. One thing that I saw circulating was um, he gave this interview um, back in 2008, right around the time when everyone was supposed to have a really strong opinion about Barack Obama either way. Either you thought he was the second coming of Christ or he was the Antichrist, you know. Everyone just felt super passionate about this guy. Um, and DMX gave this interview that basically boiled down to, he didn't give a shit. Like he, he said, (laughs) he said, um, you know, the interviewer says, but it would be pretty big if we had a first black president, that would be huge. And DMX goes, I mean, I guess what they, what they going to give a dog a bone. There you go. Oh, we have a black president now. There should have been that shit a long time ago. We wouldn't be in the fucking position we in now. With World War coming up right now, they done fuck the shit up, then give it to the black people. Here, you take it. Take my mess. Their um, interview goes, right, exactly. DMX goes, it's all fucking set up. It's all set up. All fucking bullshit. All bullshit. I don't give a fuck about none of that. And then he goes on to say... Um, you know, the, the, the interviewer brings up, well, you know, the president have a, has a bunch of influence and he, the, he brings up Bush and he goes, you think Bush is making fucking decisions? He act like he making decisions. He could barely speak that he could barely fucking speak. And you could nitpick any different bits of this, but I think like directionally, DMX has like better politics than 90% of people. So yeah. Yeah. No, D- DMX sounds like a lot of leftists waking up in like 2020, 2019 being like, you know, it we're over the glowy. Yes, we can moment. And we're like, you know, he was still like bombing Syria. Right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> but, but, but he was, he was that back in like 2008. Yeah, you know? exactly. He was way ahead of the curve. Oh, sure. Sure. I mean, and he was it, already over it. it. Like he hadn't even gone there yet. It's, it's like when I was talking about Trey Parker and Matt Stone last week, love or hate someone, you have to respect them when they're willing to stick their neck out for an opinion way before, you know, it's popular to do so. And I don't know. I think that um, the earlier bit of my spiel here kind of gives off that I'm not a huge fan of the British monarchy. So uh, the best meme I've seen regarding that is that it's so it's so rough that the queen lost um, her best friend, her cousin and her husband at the same time. (laughs) And it's like, ooh. no, it was funny. I saw some anti-vaxxer getting online and going, you know, they gave prince philip this vaccine just a couple days ago or whatever and he's dead now yeah i think i'm gonna pass that and it's like have you seen pictures of this yeah, guy no, he was he was <laughs> held together purely because not like a stiff wind could have killed philip at that point hey, the, the british royal family this has been reported it literally carries blood bags with them to like make sure their <laughs> monarchs don't suffer from like 
sudden no blood anymore syndrome. <laughs> uh, it's, God it, bless. It's, it's it really annoys me, honestly. And look, yes, I guess if you were really depressed me on it. It's obviously a human tragedy for the family. Fine. I'm not a completely heartless monster. I just have always been annoyed by these people out here who are big royal family stands because they are some of the most annoying people in the world. Yeah, I guess if you're British and it's part of your national identity, fine. But like Americans who are really in to the British royal family, we use it. We used a term a couple episodes ago, uh, you know, adult Disney fan energy. Yep, I was about and to bring up adult <laughs> Disney fan energy. Yeah, no. Yeah. Um, oh, wouldn't it be so great if we were to have a king or a queen? And these are like the same people who in any other context are like radically leftist. But like they just have this weird. I don't get what this is. Well, see, the thing is, we have similar structures here in the United States in terms of political dynasties, but we don't like them, or at least a lot of progressives aren't big fans of them. And then like, you know, it's not taxpayer funded in so many words. They're just really rich people that can buy office whenever they want. And it's like, you know, point taken, but we don't, you know, like put them in a fancy car and drive them around in a big hat. Well, see, the cool thing that I saw from, despite what I just said, the cool thing I saw about a week ago was, um, I don't know if you saw this, but the Egyptian government, through this gigantic celebration, um, they really went all out with this. The city was dripped out, um, where they did essentially, uh, as best as one could nowadays, an authentic recreation of the ancient uh, pharaonic um, funeral processions. Okay. They had a bunch of people, you know, dressed up as ancient mourners and everything. They were um, taking the you know, the old tombs through the cities, just, you know, to pay respect. Obviously, on some level, I think that this is probably a post-COVID thing to try to drum up tourism once everyone's vaccinated again. Say, oh, like, remember the pharaohs? We still have those things. And, you know, that sort of... But I thought that was just, like, a really cool thing when I looked at. And it's like, I guess I like the idea of a monarchy if, like, there were no actual monarchs around. Like, if you had, like, theoretical figureheads that you could, you know, have a country rally behind without actually sullying things with human beings being around and, like, hanging out with pedophiles like Jimmy Savile and Jeffrey Epstein sure, and everything sure. and apparently being, like, massive racists behind closed doors and all that sort of thing. Well, of course. Uh, yeah, you know, I that would be a little bit better. It's like... You know, it's kind of like up until like relatively recently, everyone in America could basically get behind the cult of personality behind, um, you know, the founding fathers, Lincoln, a few other um, important Americans. And yes, now we're having the debate of, oh, how much should we respect those individuals? But in, in the basic form, I think it's important, you know, to have some sort of unifying cultural touchstone for a country and... I'll put it this way, I'd probably be less sympathetic to that if, like, George Washington's great-great-great-great-great-grand-fail-son were still around, <laughs> ru ruling over us today. I I'd probably, yeah, yeah. that would disenchant me to a degree, but, you know, the idea that, okay, we can have these figureheads without them existing as such in this day and age, that's something I could probably get behind. Sure. And it's it's funny you're you're actually slightly dabbling over into some of the messaging inside of uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've uh, watched much of it. That's oh sure, out. sure. But I I was sick yesterday. So to circle back around, you talked about um, uh, Philip getting the vaccine, and uh, you know that might have been what killed him. I'll tell you, yesterday I might have bought that just a little bit because I got the second round of my Moderna mm. on Friday. And mm. when I tell you I was ready to be put in the ground yesterday, I felt awful. I felt so bad. It was literally the worst, which you should still get vaccinated, obviously. You know, like it's not really a big thing. Mm. But the, the thing that really struck me was usually when you get sick, mm -hmm. you don't know you're going to get sick. Right. It's not like you wake up on a Tuesday and say, all right, I'm going to be sick on Thursday. Like, you know, you just wake up and you feel bad all day Friday. I was just like. I'm about to feel real, real bad. And then it yeah. happened. And it's the worst. <laughs> yeah, no, um, I guess I have that to look forward to here in like two weeks or something. Oh, well, there you go. With um, I actually so I had a full immuno response to both uh to both doses because I had COVID last summer. 
Mm-hmm. And so my first Moderna put me in the ground. Mm-hmm. And so the second one, I was just like, well, I already know what to expect. And it's just, like I said, I can't put into words how weird it is putting yourself in that situation, knowing exactly what's going to happen. It's strange. But you were saying this in the context, I imagine what you were getting at was because you were out of commission, you started watching Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Yeah. So did you see the whole thing uh, thus far, at least? Um, I'm three out of four episodes in. Oh, man, I can't talk about some of the biggest uh, uh, spoilers in the next episode. But uh, yeah, no, I've I've watched the whole thing and I see what you're getting at with now we're um, in the context of modern American imperialism and such. How do we reckon with the legacy of a character like Captain Captain America? America. Um, And so I think it does interesting there. I I actually really like the uh, John Walker character for people who don't know um, in the show. Uh, they in, the American government introduces a new Captain America, someone to uh, fill that mantle, and it's a guy who. <laughs> what? What? You said fill that man's hole. Uh, I'm sorry. I meant you. You know what I'm I said. You know what I said. You know. No, what I, I know said. what you said, but it was funny, and now fill, it's in okay, an audio. Well, medium, yes, so. and so it's here with us forever, I guess. Um, no, uh. It's really interesting. I think there are, uh, there are good performances in the show. Oh, yeah. Um, I, obviously, Anthony Mackie does well. Sebastian Stan does well. The real MVPs, I think, at this point are uh, Wyatt Russell as our new Captain America, John Walker, and Daniel Bruhl as Zemo. He is so cool. He, yeah, is, he does great. I love his character. He is so cool. Just a slimy guy. I'm, I'm going to spoil a little bit of the next episode. Not, not a huge deal, but he's like enticing some children with sweets to give him information and there's like huge pedophile energy just like uh, he's the creepiest guy in the world but he's like also has that cool kind of smoothness about it like you could buy him as like a super villain that uh yeah yeah no i i love him as this kind of morally ambiguous like very gray um character for them to be working with mm-hmm. and uh, i agree the um was john walker is that yeah the john new? walker yeah I, I enjoy the character in as much as I want to beat him into a bloody pulp. And that is exactly the point. And so, you know, like that in that sense, he plays a dick bag pretty well, I, I in think my opinion. This is probably one of those things where and I think folks who have been listening to the show can pretty much clock where we are on our politics. It's probably one of those things where if someone is a bit more culturally left they pro they John Walker's the worst guy in the world. Where if, if someone's a bit more culturally right, they look at someone like John Walker and think, well, you know, he has some excesses, but um, you know, I can see where he's he's not a bad guy. He's just you know <laughs> he's you know he's just operating within the sphere that he's meant to operate within. So you know, it's a, just an interesting way to uh, you know I, that you know I kind of see people talking about the character and. It's funny, you get a lot of online leftists anymore who like to really dunk on the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and they'll talk about, like, oh, it's all military propaganda, so we can't talk about it anyway, and I think that's a bit... uh, That's a bit of a reductive take in that, like, if you uh, look at, say... Uh, Captain America, the Winter Soldier. That is a pretty explicit, pretty explicitly, at least within the context of the superhero universe, um, talks about issues of mass surveillance and that sort of thing. And even if you could say, oh, well, you know, it it doesn't matter because it's all military propaganda. It's like, well, you, you know, the military could be wrong in that they think that, oh, um, we're going to support this production because it'll raise recruitment rates. But Maybe they had, you know, maybe they miscalculate. It's possible. So I, I, and I think it's a dodge. I think it's okay. This is, these are putting ideas into the mainstream out here of, you know, talking about what is uh, the role of the national security state and such. And it has got, and people do have different interpretations of it. And so I think you should grapple that with that as it is, rather than finding just some excuse to ignore the conversation. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think it's also, um, especially, you know, this type of keyboard warrior online leftist person that you're describing. It's, you know, it's an intellectual endeavor to dislike something that's popular from a from a place where you can posit yourself as some form of academic or intellectual and that's fine you know whatever gets you clout in your circle i guess but it's you know it's holistically disingenuous because if you watch you know if you watch any of the marvel films and you're like i want to enlist to be a grunt Mm -hmm. in the middle east you missed the whole movie like 
some dude in a helmet is going to come blow you away in two seconds. Like, mm-hmm. if anything, it's the best recruitment you could possibly get for, like, the CIA or the FBI. Like, the, the actual armed forces are basically shown as, like, completely useless. Well, to be clear, the, the online leftists don't really have a much of a higher opinion about, like, the, uh, the CIA or anything. But I think, all in all, my favorite... Marvel Cinematic Universe film, even after all these years, is Iron Man, because I thought it really did a good job of integrating um, a superhero character like Iron Man with like actual conflicts that we have going on, what with yeah, terrorists yeah, 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 in yeah. Central Asia and all that. And the more fantastic it's gotten, uh, you know, it's, it's harder to, um, you know, push on the verisimilitude. Here and I, I appreciate they're they're trying to go back a little bit to dealing with that, but the flag smashers are honestly the least compelling aspect of this show. I like mean, the honest, vaguely lefty anarchists. I, don't know. I mean, honestly, I see what they're doing, and I'm like, okay, short of saying that you want to kill several billion people, like most of the stuff they're doing so far is guerrilla tactics to redistribute supplies, which you're going to be hard pressed to get a lot of your audience to disagree with mm-hmm. <laughs> until um, they do a couple of more morally gray things uh, later on. But yeah, no, I mean, I don't know. I, I didn't want to have like a big full in-depth discussion of the show. I just, I wanted mm-hmm. to bring up that I was watching it and I was digging it and uh, I look forward to when the whole thing's out so we can really uh, talk about do it. a bit of a deep dive on it. Yeah, for I, sure. I will say one thing, and I think this is kind of interesting. Apparently, the show as originally conceived and was shot for a while was it was going to be these uh a terror I mean sorry these um superheroes dealing with some sort of mass pandemic and then covid oh. hit and oh, so then no. and so then not only did they have to do reshoots to um adjust for the fact that a lot of the locations that they had were no longer available or whatever but they apparently had to redo some of the plot lines at like the relative last minute. And yeah. I don't know it again, without getting too much into uh, what's happened in the episode you haven't seen, it's plausible. We'll see how it plays out because this show is much shorter than WandaVision in the sense that it's like, yeah, the episodes are slightly longer, but it's only six episodes. So we're already most of the way through. Yeah. Um, so we, we should have a big episode and talk about this. Like, yeah, absolutely. Um, but we also saw, we actually sat down and meant to watch um, something else this week, and that was... A the sound- Care Bears movie. Yes. Um, 11 out of 10 stars. Uh, it's great. I, I would give the whole crew a Care Bear hug if it wouldn't immediately infect them with the coronavirus and kill them. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, we, we, saw, uh, we saw The Sound of Metal is what we watched, mm-hmm. um, which was a critically acclaimed film about a musician who's on the road. He's a drummer and he is basically struck deaf um, through noise exposure. And this is another thing that I wanted to get into because it's getting a lot of award season attention. Um, Riz Ahmed portrays the male lead and he got nominated for the Oscar for uh, best leading actor. And uh, Paul Racy was also nominated for best supporting actor who, uh, his character leads the deaf community that our protagonist falls in with for a bit. And I don't know, what are your general thoughts on the film as it is putting aside the award season chatter or anything? Yeah. Okay. So like putting, putting all of that in the corner for a minute, my, my feelings towards the film are complicated because you know, it, it addresses so many different things on so many different levels. There's conversations about addiction. There's conversations about, uh, you know, like what, what is a fulfilling life for you? And like, they have very in-depth conversations about like, we don't want to approach deafness as a handicap. Mm -hmm. You know, it is, you know, it is not something that we are missing or incomplete because of, which I found, you know, very interesting and profound conversation. Um, But the thing is, as looking at it as a film about Ruben, who's the main character, it, it, it's troubling in a way because we don't really get any form of like, you know, closure or we don't truly get a sense that he's like entirely learned anything because he, he, you know, you know, so obviously spoilers, he turns his back on the deaf community, basically burns the whole bridge there. And then once he gets his cochlear implants, it turns to ash in his mouth and he hates the way that he hears now because it's not the way that he heard before. And so at the end of the film, he takes them off and just sits in the silence 
And it's like, okay, I get that you're kind of coming around to the idea that um, Racy's character was talking to you about, but like, you know, you, you, you literally took the L on everything in your entire life. And now you're sitting on a bench in Paris or in France, you know, just <laughs> in the dead silent. And that's, you know, that's where we are, I guess. I have a few thoughts about these issues and they're really good issues. But before we let this go, I think it would be malpractice not to let our not audience know that um, you've been a big drummer for many, many years now. The most most of your life. And this is a film about a heavy metal drummer. And were there any thoughts that came to you from that aspect? Just <laughs> so I would. OK, so this is fun. So I was watching the beginning of the film. I kind of just had to put that in the corner because i've said before on this podcast i don't like watching movies about musicians because it's never right Mm -hmm. and you know to a certain degree they kind of got some stuff right like he doesn't look like the most uncomfortable person in the world behind a drum set i would actually buy that he has played drums at some point in his Mm -hmm. life or he is a drummer because he just he did look fairly comfortable behind the instrument but um so the genre of music that they're playing is basically noise rock. <laughs> um, metal is not even kind of in the description there. Like they're doing very strange avant-garde. Like also only two people in the band. It, and it's one of duo. you is just screaming purity. <laughs> and the other person is just not even actually playing like grooves or anything on the drum set. Just literally making noise. Um, and so not to disparage that type of music, I'm sure if you are the type of person who has 10 stick and poke tattoos and likes going to house shows with eight people sharing one pack of cigarettes, you were really into the music yeah. in the first half <laughs> of this movie. But um, no. So, I mean, from that perspective, they did they did a good job. They covered their bases. And uh, I just want to say if I lost my hearing making that type of music, I don't deserve to have it. <laughs> no, uh, I think they were kind of vague as to what specific genre of music they were playing just because they probably didn't want to get pigeonholed too much, though. So, yeah, I yeah, mean, yeah. to an extent, you know, you've called your 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 movie Sound of Metal, so I, we have to live with that. Um, but um, no, the sound of noise rock just doesn't roll as well into the uh, awards season. I want to I'm waiting for sound of vaporwave. <laughs> someone someone losing their losing their hearing just uh no it's um what what was that song uh what does the fox say and no. it's just what is the sound of the fox and then it's someone losing their sight because the music <laughs> was so bad it struck them blind <laughs> they're just like what does the fox oh oh god i can't see <laughs> we have the hottest jokes from 2010 <laughs> <laughs> I didn't have a podcast then, so I didn't have a chance to lampoon that song. Imagine um, what our podcast in 2010 would have been like. Because um, we, we would could, be canceled. We would be hard canceled. Um, no. Uh, so, yeah, no, I thought it was interesting in a lot of ways. And this is going to be a weird tangent, but I want to explore this a little bit. Do you know, at the very end, when I saw, because the journey that the character had, such that there was a journey, his conflict was, do I accept deafness or do I go for the cochlear implant, right? Do I restore my hearing? And part of the way they uh, foster this is to um, show the character through the deaf community that he falls in with how one can legitimately lead a very fulfilling life as a person who happens to not have any sense of hearing. And so that was very interesting. And where I'm going to kind of go from left field here a little bit is it kind of reminds me in a lot of ways about of the show uh, Black Mirror in that in that so much. I think a lot of Black Mirror, and I know a lot of people like the show. I don't like it very much. I'm not a big fan either. I um, because I think. So. Can we do an episode where we just rail on Black Mirror? Oh, I'd love to do that because <laughs> most of the episodes of the show are essentially the same, and it's a very kind of reactionary Luddite message in yep. every episode. Because even though it's science fiction, all of the show boils down to oh, this this. Um, magical invention that could actually fix all of your problems. It's actually bad for some reason, and you should maybe be just happy with how you are, right? But theoretically, at its best with Black Mirror, you can um, kind of explore um, 
what it does mean to be fulfilled in a lot of ways. And the reason, all this to say that the easy cop out that you have with a movie like Sound of Metal is, of course, the at the end of the day, when he gets his cochlear implants, he's going to see the attraction of uh, deafness simply because cochlear implants as they exist right now, that sort of technology is still rather primitive. You, you can restore something like hearing, but it's going to be screechy. It's going to be imperfect. It's going to be nothing like what you remember. I do see a lot of videos on the internet or whatever where, oh, woman uh, hears for the first time, right? Or, or a little baby hears for the yeah. first time or whatever. But the point here is that Oftentimes, these are um, people who had never had any sense of hearing to begin with, and thus anything is better than nothing, at least yeah, from their yeah, perspective. Yeah, yeah. So, of course, when they hear their father or their boyfriend talk to them, it's going to be heartwarming. Um, Ruben, our lead character, had his hearing for much of his life, so he has that to compare to. It's, and, gonna, it's always going to be hollow in yes, that way for him. Yes. And and so you almost want to see like the science fiction equivalent of this movie uh, set like 50 years from now where... The guy where we do actually have some sort of perfect technology which can por- perfectly restore your sense of hearing and then really interrogate fully, um, okay, now that you've had the bite of the apple with deafness, um, what do you prefer, right? Yeah. And because that, that's just it, it's the cop out. It's, of course, um, there's going to be the. Um, all the problems with cochlear implants exist because the technology kind of sucks at this point, you know, if you already have hearing. So, yeah. yeah. Well, and so here's my, here's my other thing. And I get that this is part of his characterization as an addict and as just like kind of Ruben being this, like, you know, almost Shakespearean, um, you know, oh, what's the word ambition to a fault kind of dude. But like when he is at his best is when he has been completely broken Mm-hmm. And he has just moved into the deaf world a hundred percent. He's waking up early every day. He's writing. He, you know, develops very warm affections for this teacher that I was really interested in him exploring. I wanted that angle so bad and they never gave it to me mm-hmm. and it pissed me off. Um, you know, he's working with kids every day. He's starting to integrate drumming into the deaf community, which is great. You know, he, my laundry is done. Um, you know, he's doing so much, you know, in a way that is, that seems so fulfilling. He's having these wonderful conversations around the table with all of the members of the community and to see him just blow all of that because he wants, you know, something that doesn't exist anymore. And in his heart of hearts, he had to know, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, he, he'd been on the computer and checked on Lou and she, she wasn't, you know, just waiting for him. And it's just, I don't know, like it, everything passed when he burns the bridge with the deaf community. It's just like, but why? It, it It's interesting. Um, Lou was his girlfriend in the film as portrayed by Olivia Cook. And toward the beginning of the film, this is never like, I don't think they ever make a big deal of this or anything, but you do get from several, um, shots that, um, she was a cutter, right? She yeah. she had um, scars down her arm, and um, obviously they would not um, make that choice if it was not relevant. And I came later to the film after he got his cochlear implant, which required surgery, that um, there were scars down uh, the back of his head. And I wonder if there wasn't meant to be some sort of parallelism going there. Like if the movie poses that this almost is like a form of self mutilation that he goes through to, um, restore his hearing. Yeah. I mean, I, I didn't notice that. So that's an interesting perspective on that. I also found it interesting that like one of her ticks was like scratching. Mm -hmm. Um, and so the thing was like, she didn't, after he met her again, she didn't scratch until he was talking about like, yeah, let's get it. Let's get back to the old life. And then she's immediately just like, I don't want that. Right. And it's like, did you really have to go all the way to France to figure that out, bud? <laughs> like did you already sold everything that you own. You are homeless and broke. Mm-hmm. First off, how did you even get the plane ticket homie? You don't have any money. Right. And then like, you know, he winds up in France 
with her rich dad who like kind of gives him the nod of like, Hey, you gave her somewhere to go. And like, you know, the story with her mom and everything is pretty tragic, but then it's like, you know, okay, cool. So now you're sitting in a park and you're, you're okay with being deaf, but you're broke and alone with no connections to anybody. Mm -hmm. I guess kind of the cop out here is that, okay, it's incredibly convenient that his long-term girlfriend, um, has a rich dad because you could then also like imagine a scenario where if, if um the dad doesn't replace his drum set and RV and whatever, that at least he could have some sort of like plausible expectation that that would happen. Right. And thus it would be more meaningful on some level, even if you disagree with the decision for him to sell all this stuff to get the cochlear implants without any sort of expectation that he could necessarily get that back. Yeah. Um, so we're crossing the Rubicon as it were, um, <laughs> the Ruben con there, there you go. Maybe another connection. I don't know. Um, no, but let, let's go back to the, um, to the uh, deaf community for a minute here um, as portrayed in the film, because again, a lot of the attention has been focused on um, Paul race. I forget this character's name in the film. Joe, maybe that seems right. Um, again, he did get an Oscar nomination for this and it was very interesting because he's one of these guys who's been a working actor for decades, but hardly anything that you could, uh, he, he was hardly famous or anything. He's just one of these guys who, you know, would show up on TV shows like Parks and Recreation or whatever when they just needed a, a guy, right? And here was his chance to, um, you know, show the world what he could do with his acting, and he absolutely knocked it out of the park. And I thought it was... He, he was a very interesting character as portrayed in mm-hmm. the film Joe because he's someone who... Uh, like Ruben, was not born deaf or anything. Um, he lost his hearing in the Vietnam War, but unlike Ruben, he um, he had come to peace with his deafness just pretty decisively. Uh, yeah. Any thoughts on that? I mean, I think that part of that is also just who Joe is as a person. Mm-hmm. Like he, he, his cup gets filled off of guiding people to this peace. Because I, I remember specifically the moment uh, when he's talking to Ruben about, you know, when when Ruben comes back and he says, hey, I've had the surgery and they're having that very emotional talk. And uh, Joe says, you know, that that stillness that I feel in that room, that's the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, what what a line you know, and that's that's from a man who went to a war that was very unpopular that he he might not have even believed in at the time, mm-hmm. lost his hearing. And, you know, for him to still find that sense of awe and wonder in his regular life is sure. just, you know, just incredible. Um, Again, powerhouse performance, good writing um, all of that. And um, he ha- he has another bit where he comes in and he says that. On some level, you know, there's a system of trust here where we all implicitly buy into the notion of um, deafness being something that is not a disability. It's just another way of being. And when someone violates that trust, bad things happen. And that's just one of those lines that, you know, it's you could imagine dozens of stories just kind of being hinted at that through that line. It's just so evocative. It's so good. Um, And it's, it's so funny because it's like, you can imagine people have done, you know, he, he runs a, a house that is for deaf addicts. Like he's, he's probably had some characters sure come through. And so, you know, he, he seems like a man with endless patience so long as it is not one thing. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, he says earlier in the film, you know, and he he points, so it's going to be harder to do the line on a podcast, but he's like, we're not trying to fix this, points to his ears, we're trying to fix this, and points to his uh, points to his head. And so it's like, you know, it's all about the the psychosis and like the, the brain approach, the mental approach to, you know, your life and what you're doing. And uh, yeah, you get the sense that Joe is someone who has been taken advantage of a lot in his kindness. And that's, you know, that's really sad Mm -hmm. because, I mean, you could tell, especially as Ruben walks away, you know, he has that moment of trembling. He obviously doesn't like the fact that he has to ultimately turn Ruben away from his community because of, you know, the surgery. But it's probably something that had to be done. Right. Because if you do accept the premise that, you know, there can be some sort of 
alternate deaf community and everything and that someone you know a, a community built around that premise the sort of surgery does pose an almost existential uh, problem for that right and again it would be interesting to see kind of the science fiction version of this movie where we we don't have the the convenient fact of cochlear implants being imperfect being there and um, technology could theoretically perfectly restore one's hearing and how exactly um, the deaf community would exist alongside that. That would be interesting. Yeah. And I mean, I, I think that that would, you know, that that would certainly be a, a story worth exploring, mm-hmm. I think. But I mean, you know, summatively for, for the whole experience, you know, I think it's, I think it's well shot. I think the way that they, they bring you in and out of kind of Ruben's uh, oral sphere mm-hmm. and they kind of, you know, they'll give you a minute where you can't hear anything and you just hear the rumbles and then they'll bring you back out into, you know, real world hearing, um, you know, that it really kind of helps bring you along. And, uh, you know, to a certain point, there were definitely times where I was irritated by it. I was like, you know, I want to hear, I want to hear what's happening. And it's like, you know, okay, I see what you did there. That's, <laughs> that's nice. That's fun. Um, so, you know, overall, I think it's, uh, you know, definitely like a seven, eight out of 10 kind of kind of experience. The only thing that I had regarding like the awards season push and everything like that was, you know, a lot of the promotional material for this brings it builds the film as being this massive powerhouse performance from a uh, Riz Ahmed, which he does a great job. Don't get me wrong. But I was waiting for it, and it's again, it's something we've spoken about several times on that on this podcast. I was waiting for the part where he made me put my phone down, which again, I don't look at my phone during movies, but you know what I mean, like that part that got my heart rate up, and that like really, you know, he told me sit down and I'm gonna do what I'm doing, mm-hmm. and you know, uh, Paul Racy did that for me several sure. times. Uh, I thought you know he gave several very arresting bits of performance across the. Um, the screen time, but Reese Ahmed never did quite so much for me in that way. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that it could be that he was just going for a more subtle characterization. And I, and I thought, you know, his realization of the character was very good, but you know, I feel like when you build something so heavily on the shoulders of one actor, you have to have some type of aha moment. Well, the Academy, and this has been a trope for literally decades now, you can think of any number of different examples, for instance, Rain Man. Um, yeah or my left foot or the Academy loves to reward um, performances by able-bodied actors, you know, portraying some sort of disabled character. And I don't want to be the kind of nitpick E sort of online social justice type who plays representation cop, but it must be said that, Neither Riz Ahmed nor Paul Racy are themselves deaf. I think the most prominent character in this film actually portrayed by a um, deaf actor was Lauren Ridloff, who was the um, the teacher that you uh, mentioned yeah. earlier. And um, she's going to be in The Eternals as well, coming as a, oh, that's as great. a deaf superhero. And But the point is... Well, I really enjoyed her performance as well, so that'll be good to see. Yeah, no. Um, so... I call me old fat. This is one of these like opinions. That's like really 2009 liberal, but like 2020, the height of reactionary. When I say more often than not, I think the bias should be, you know, the best actor, you know, you know, let, let people act, let people play different parts. I, I get how there are systemic barriers for people with various disabilities and making it in the film industry though, and any number of different industries. So I get that where the tension exists. Um, but I, I imagine this is probably going to be something that five, 10 years from now is going to be what, um, cis actors playing trans characters was 10 years ago going to be something that goes almost overnight from um acceptable to the point of being mundane to some sort of like considered some sort of horrid parody that you can't even you can't even think about you can't even suggest so yeah i mean i i don't know i I think it's definitely multifaceted in that way like you know if I feel if I felt like the entire point of the film was to point out the struggle of a deaf person fitting into a hearing world, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, I think you're much better going to be able to tap into that as someone who, you know, 
is is personally deaf, but you know, given that Ruben's kind of whole character is in not accepting his deafness mm-hmm. and not really being, you know, being a hearing person who just happens to not be able to hear, you know, I think that that's that's a specific bill that you know. I think a hearing actor can tap into just as well. And I don't think there's necessarily as many issues with representation there. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I mean, I, you know, again, the, with the nitpicky stuff, sure. Some of the longer standing people in the film who have been deaf for a long time. Yeah, sure. Get, get some deaf ac- actors in there. Like yeah. they're, they're around there. Mm-hmm. Are, there are plenty of, you know, good deaf actors, I'm sure. But you know, you, you also have to consider that, you know, like if you're a casting director and you have X amount of time to get everybody on shoot and everything. And, you know, you have certain people in mind that you're going to reach for, you know, Mm -hmm. it's, it's complex and multifaceted, much like everything in this world and attempting to boil it down to a one sentence answer is usually just going to make people dislike you. And, and this was, it must be said like a low budget movie that was shot in less than a month. So it's, it's not like they had all of the resources in the world at their disposal. They probably, you know, they could get like one or two big name actors and then, you know, okay, now that we have that, we can get funding and now it's time to shoot. But that's probably like it. Um, yeah, they actually, um, so they spent most of their budget constructing the whole compound for the deaf community. And then they shot the whole thing on an iPhone. <laughs> would you believe that? Uh, it's incredible. I mean, if I'm going to criticize that, I would have <laughs> to criticize like every indie movie made. And at least they didn't go for like the yellow filter, you know, where everything kind of has that piss stain sort of permanently five o'clock in the afternoon uh, vibe going on. Um, Then again, this is a movie that uh, premiered on Amazon and you can tell it's, I I, I haven't looked this up, but I'm fairly certain this is a movie that Amazon acquired versus actually like funded and made and everything because it, it the very least does not suffer from that thing where you get with a lot of streaming movies where it's, no matter what the movie is like a comedy or a drama or whatever, it has very like flat lighting that almost makes everything look like an NBC sitcom. Yeah. You know, well, like no, sp- I mean specifically, um, I don't know why this lives in my head, like rent free, but the, the scene where uh Lou's dad is cooking for uh Ruben when he first shows up in France, mm-hmm. um, just the way that he was cooking and the sound of him cooking, like God, I want to wake up in a Frenchman's kitchen. Oh, sure. With someone's rich dad, disillusioned about their divorced wife, dead wife, um, you know, poaching me some eggs sure. gently. Like, God, that was so nice. Oh, what what you said earlier that's interesting, and I wanted to actually get back to that was you made the point about um how the movie uh switched very well at certain points between, okay, you could hear things and okay, you couldn't hear things and say, I've seen movies that have done like, um, um, silence or like a slight ringing, uh, to simulate deafness or whatever. That's relatively common. I think one of the big examples is, uh, for instance, like, um, in the opening of saving private Ryan, where, um, Tom Hanks is like right near an explosion on the beach. And like for a second, there's like that iconic bit where he has, you know, no sound, just like a faint ringing. And he sees all the carnage happening without him around him. What I haven't heard so much in film. I I think this might be literally the only time I've ever heard it in film thus far was someone trying to um, recreate the sound of like what someone with a cochlear implant hears. That was interesting. So, I mean, I was about to say I could I could go through the nerdy audio stuff about like how how you do that to audio, but it's a, it's really a fairly simple post processing thing, but it adds so much to kind of really getting his experience through about how imperfect um, his renewed sense of hearing is, and then as well I'm I'm very familiar with the the sound that you're talking about where like you know you have like the the flashbang or the loud thing happen and then there's kind of the high ringing and stuff. Mm-hmm. Something this film does really well is you still get certain frequencies through like vibrations and stuff. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, like when he's playing on the slide, right, it's not like it would have just been dead freaking silence. Like he's still going to feel the vibrations and it will kind of audiate in a certain way. Mm -hmm. Um, And so like, you know, it was I I enjoyed that they they really paid attention to that a lot. Um, Yeah. Sure. Certainly. Certainly. Um, 
you know, I, I like the movie well enough. Um, I certainly don't feel like I wasted my time seeing the movie. I thought that there were some unresolved, unresolved tensions within the movie that I think yeah. could have, they could have worked around it, but ultimately at a certain point, I'm, you don't want to fall in the, the trap of what Roger Ebert, you know, pointed out too much and saying, you know, you, you judge a movie by like what it was trying to do, not by what you wanted it to do. And for what it was trying to do, I, I think it did a very good job. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think I think it's definitely worth a watch. Um, it is worth noting that you have to have Amazon Prime. I found this out uh, yesterday oh. um, because I was clicking on it and I was like, yeah, cool. I'll rent it for three ninety nine. And that was not the case. And so uh, Jeff Bezos now has a 10 percent stake in my household. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, you know, you and everyone else in the world. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's the new uh, it's the new empire. The sun never sets on Amazon, as there, it were. There you go. I, I imagine again all of the pharaohs that are being paraded through the streets of Cairo and how they could not even imagine the level of control. They imagined themselves to be gods, but they could not even equal one one-tenth the power that Jeff Bezos has in our modern world. To quote, <clears throat> human beings in a mob, what's a mob to a king? What's a king to a god? What's a god to Jeff Bezos? And that's that was actually in the song uh, when yeah, it came out. That's true. So, um, yeah, I mean that's uh, I I mean I that's all the thoughts I have about the sound of metal and uh, early reflections on Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Sebastian Stan is a gorgeous man. Everybody in the world wants him to uh, play young Luke Skywalker in some project. Um, <laughs> I, I could I mean I see the I resemblance between him and Mark Hamill, and I think that's pretty much exactly what people like you know are thinking they aren't thinking so much oh we have a specific luke skywalker story we just want see i think he's too like square jawed and traditionally attractive for that role yeah. like he's more of a brooding you know like i he plays bucky incredibly well where he's just staring off into space mark hamill was definitely like just a hardcore like pretty boy back in the 70s he yeah he was uh uh, if, if Mark Hamill was a twink, then Sebastian Stan is a twunk, if you will. <laughs> What's interesting is that, um, I was reading this back in the day, both Sebastian Stan and Wyatt Russell, who's playing John Walker in this, were considered for the, uh, role of Steve Rogers, Captain America back in the OG film. And so was John Krasinski from the, huh. from the office, him, him. And I think, um, uh, Steve and um, Chris Evans were uh, the front runners, I think, yeah, for sure. the role. And then you had all these other guys were considered a bunch of different guys. And I, I, I don't know. I think for what it was, it'd be, you'd be hard pressed to uh, find a better actor than uh, Chris Evans, at least in this place and time. For he, um, he, it, he just was the role, man. Sure, like he just, God bless his his characterization of that. Just his Steve Rogers, so good. Mm -hmm. I don't. I don't think we're. I don't think we're going to see another. Mm -hmm. I mean, well, you know, I, I get the feeling that they're going to try it. Oh point. no, they will definitely try. And it's but, going to be really dumb. Well, well, and it's funny because, like, you know, we're we're already getting the uh, we're already getting the reactions out of the way with, uh, you know, the intentional dislike or not dislike, depending on who you are, of Walker. Well, so this is what I think Marvel has like, and I think on some level this was definitely planned a while back for everyone trying to um, figure out legacy characters. Uh, because I think this is to, to go left field here. This is one of those things where um, I think diversity also plays a role in it because obviously you do want to add diversity to a lot of these long running franchises and these long running superhero universes. But it's one of those things where if you were to cast, say, a black or a Latino or an Asian actor to play the Steve Rogers iteration of Captain America specifically, it, it would piss people off. Rightly or wrongly, it just would. That would create a huge mental block for a lot of people that they could not uh, get over. And I don't think necessarily even all the people who think like that are racist or anything. But again, you do want to add diversity. So I think the solution that I think Marvel specifically came up with was, okay, we will slot pre-existing uh, characters of color or um, characters that we invented for this 
into the Captain America mantle or the um, Wolverine mantle or the Spider-Man mantle that allows um, the Steve Rogers and the Peter Parker and the Logan iteration of said characters to still exist, right? So nobody feels like they're losing out on the OG Captain America or anything. So we're definitely seeing Sam Wilson take the mantle as uh, Captain America. Probably, spoiler, it hasn't happened yet, but come on, it's happening. Um, We are... We saw we're starting to see a big Miles Morales uh, push in the media, yeah. and uh, thank God because Spider Man Into the Spider Verse was such a good movie. Um, we've seen um, in Logan, we finally saw the X twenty three version of uh, Wolverine as portrayed by Daphne Keene. So we have a female Latina uh, um, um, Wolverine. So yeah, no, this is I think one way that uh, I forget exactly what. Uh, brought up this line of thinking on my point, but it's out there now. <laughs> well, there you have it, folks. Um, uh, I, I I don't think I have any more uh, things to bleed out personally um, about any of those things. You know, one of the, um, one of the uh, pharaohs that they were, they were taking through the streets of Cairo, Thut Moses was, uh, he helped extend Egyptian domination in Nubia. So, the dude literally colonized black bodies, which I'm led to believe is high key sus. So I think that we should definitely. <laughs> You're going to cancel him? We're going to definitely cancel this guy who's been dead for 3,500 years. Thought Moses. Thought Moses. Exa- yes, he, w- he was a thought. Like, yeah, no. Bad, I mean, bad, bad guy. I mean,. Don't don't hate the player, hate the game, right? Uh, I guess I don't know. I don't I don't even know. I don't know what game they would have been playing back then. Did they, they have Parcheesi? They had Rock. They had <laughs> they had throw rock at rock. They had cask of Amontillado bury people. I don't know, man. I'm just sick words. Now. <laughs> I just hate. you just mummify people. You pray to pray to Horus and mummify your bro, and you know try not to get eaten by a crocodile. That's yeah. the that's the life. Well, um, for more hard hitting Egyptology, um, don't listen to this podcast next week because you won't get it here. Um, I'm going to read a whole book on, the top. <laughs> <laughs> on air. That's going to be the whole episode. <laughs> We're going to filibuster this podcast. Definitely. All um, right. Anywho, uh, my name's Jeff. My name's Tucker. Uh, have a good week. Bye.